It is Wednesday, July 7th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schiff. With me, as always, is accuracy expert here, Jared Smola, fresh off number two finish in the Fantasy Pros preseason draft uh, expert rankings this season. Congrats, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. I mean, you know, second place kind of kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I'd like to come in first. Matt Harmon of Yahoo, who, you know, is, is a stud, beat me out this year. Um but I don't know. We're, we're on to we're on to 2021. We're trying to make you know good 2021 rankings. So let's do it. That's right. Uh, and we are in the midst of our division preview series. We're back from a semi-planned week off. I took my family to Ocean City, Maryland last week. I told Jared that I would be available to podcast, but I mean, mm-hmm. once I was there, I, honestly, the biggest culprit was probably the IDP projections taking longer than I expected. I wound up with 419 players projected because I did it team by team for a change this year. It's probably like double the number of players that I usually project. So I'm going to blame it primarily on that rather than just being lazy on vacation. I just wanted to see you like shirtless on the pod on the beach or something. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anybody wanted to see my nipples on the draft sharks podcast. So I'm glad that I didn't make that dream come true. Um, Those projections though are live on DraftSharks.com Now Jared's been pumping out articles like a, like a fire hose of information on there. So you can find those there as well. Kevin's O-line analysis hit the site while I was away. So that's up the running back strength, the schedule outlook landed Tuesday on DraftSharks.com. That's the second in a four part series. QBs are already posted busy time on DraftSharks.com. Like you said, we're on to 2021 well into draft season at this point. And I mean, we've got a, a discord channel now too, right? I was gonna say, I wanted to mention the discord channel, which is already, already popping on. Do we say popping anymore? That's like a 90s thing. But there, there's a lot of action there. Um, you know, we got some, awesome successful high stakes guys on there that I'm, I'm learning stuff from it's completely free um, i don't know i think we can probably throw the link to join like in the you know podcast description wherever you find your pods you can you'll be able to find that there there is lots of chatter already as you mentioned both in the best ball and high stakes threads on there i'm looking forward to to all that discussion you know not just interacting with our users and answering questions that people have but also picking the brains like you said of some of the top fantasy players around who have already jumped in um so it should be fun Today, we're going to move on to the NFC South. Like I said, we're in the midst of divisional preview series. You can find the previous two up on the site, wherever you get your podcasts. NFC West, AFC West, we already did. Today, it's the NFC South, home of the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, but alphabetical order dictates that they will be last in this rundown. Instead, Jared, let's start with the Atlanta Falcons, who definitely have the most relevant coaching changes in the division. Yeah, Arthur Smith hired as new head coach. He, of course, was the Titans offensive coordinator the past two seasons. I mean, for for my money, one of the best play callers in the NFL over the past two years. And, you know, we'll see how he transitions to being a head coach. We've seen some, you know, successful OCs struggle as head coaches. But like the move for Atlanta's offense, the Titans over the last two seasons, they were uh, 12th in total yards, 10th in points in 2019. They were second in total yards, fourth in points scored last year. Uh, They went from 19th in situation neutral pace in Arthur Smith's first season to third last year. And the reason it's so interesting, though, is because, you know, Smith obviously oversaw one of the most run heavy offenses in the NFL in Tennessee, whereas Atlanta the past two seasons has been a pass leaning offense. Um, You know, I'm of the mind that Smith went run heavy because of the personnel you have. I mean, you have you have Derrick Henry there. You're going to be a run heavy offense. I I don't think that's going to carry over to Atlanta. 
But, um, you know, th- that's going to be a big question mark. We're going to have to, you know, check on uh, throughout August there. Yeah. And I think that's something we probably won't know until the season starts because Tennessee was also fairly successful along with having Derrick Henry, even Arthur Smith recently called Derrick Henry an outlier said it was, you know, that was just what you do is give him the ball a lot. When you have him as your running back, he knows he said multiple times, they don't have anything like Derrick Henry in Atlanta. So I don't think that we should expect, uh, you know, that kind of run lean from this Atlanta team. It's just not built to succeed that way. We'll see where it goes, though, because we have Arthur Smith. We only have two years of him as an OC in Tennessee with that Derrick Henry offense. We also have offensive coordinator Dave Ragone, who is serving in that role for the first time in the NFL. He was the passing game coordinator for the Bears last year. He was their QB's coach for four years before that. So we just don't have a whole lot of history to go on with either of these guys to know what we're looking at for run-pass split. We also – I agree that Arthur Smith coming in should be good for the offense – we tend to look at the Falcons as this, you know, good fantasy offense. And we have other changes that we're going to get to in a few minutes, but they also dipped to 21st in football outsiders DVOA last year, 29th in rushing DVOA. So this was not a good Atlanta offense in 2020 that we're now, you know, trying to project forward. Yeah. The running game was bad. And, you know, we'll, I, I guess we'll talk about whether that's going to improve this season. Julio Jones was banged up all last year, but now he's gone. So, I mean, yeah, this, if Arthur Smith's not like the genius we think he might be, this could be an offense that struggles this season. You know, for pass runs, but I, I have them still as one of the pass heavier offenses. I went 60% pass. Um, and again, that'd be a huge break from what Smith did in Tennessee. But I just look at the the roster, you know, the personnel here, when, when Mike Davis is your lead back, and you still have Matt Ryan, Kelvin Ridley, just drafted Kyle Pitts. I think it would make sense for this offense to, to lean on the pass. Yeah. And I also don't expect the team to be very good. So I think that right. 60%, 60, 40 is actually what I landed on too. And honestly, it was a few months ago. I don't even remember how I arrived at that specific number. Julio Jones was still there. We had all the coaching changes we mentioned. So I, I think that's a fair spot to set expectations and, you know, we'll see where it goes. I, I, I would try not to be too married to anything numbers wise here. Cause you know, like we said, we're kind of guessing on multiple fronts. We'll jump to the QB notes, Matt Ryan, Coming off completion rate, touchdown rate, yards per attempt that all ranked among the lowest rates for his career last season. Now he's going to go without Julio Jones for the first time since 2010. The market has adjusted some to Julio Jones leaving, but I still don't see much reason to bet on Matt Ryan in fantasy right now. No, I'm off Matt Ryan, and I was on him heavily before the Julio Jones stuff started. Like I took Matt Ryan in most of the early drafts I did, you know, back in like February and March. Um, because again, I liked the Arthur Smith hire, you know, the Titans were sixth and fourth in passing offense DVOA under Arthur Smith. And you think, you know, you, you get that plus Julio Ridley and then, you know, Kyle Pitts came later, obviously, but it was a nice setup for Matt Ryan pre Julio Jones trade, but Ryan was horrible without Julio Jones last year. And they do have Kyle Pitts now, so it's slightly better, but um, to me, he's like a lower end quarterback too, and just just not a guy I've been drafting much of in the past. And I think we've even mentioned it on earlier shows here when before things changed so much in Atlanta. But in the past, the time to bet on Matt Ryan is when he's going outside the top twelve. The time to pass on him is when he's inside the top ten. This year started out that way as a time to bet on him, but then they pulled Julio Jones away. Kyle Pitts could be amazing from the start, but expecting him to even come close to replacing Julio Jones, either in terms of production or just on-field performance does not seem like a smart bet right away. So, you know, even at QB 16, Matt Ryan's still going four spots ahead of Kirk Cousins, five spots ahead of Baker Mayfield in positional ADP. I just don't see any reason to make that selection in that spot. 
No, me either. I mean, of course, he's going to add nothing rushing. And he's also at the age where like, you have to start to worry about a decline. We didn't really see it last year. He was still ninth among qualifying quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. But, I mean, you know, any year now could sort of be the, be the beginning of the end for Matt Ryan. Yeah, maybe he'll be a streaming option in season, but not somebody that I'm targeting at draft time. Running back notes, Mike Davis, Jared, you and I have disagreed on him a bit through projection season. What do you think of Mike Davis as the leader of this backfield right now? And the more I've thought about it, I've come around to where you are, where he's a guy. I'm not I'm not, not taking him, but he has to drop a bit below his ADP for me to consider him. And it, it's he's a guy where projections can get you in trouble because like you look at the backfield now and it's like tough not to give Mike Davis a massive share of the of the carries and the targets in the backfield. Um, but then you look at the player like he's he's a journeyman. He's 28 years old. The contract he signed, he got a two year, five point five million dollar deal. That's you know the same average salary that Devontae Booker got to be you know a pure backup running back with the Giants. So the contract doesn't say like you know Davis is definitely the guy. He's still the favorite to be the guy. And like, I think you have to factor in the upside that he gets, you know, 300 opportunities. So he could get 230 carries and, you know, 60 or 70 targets. That's, that's the upside, but he's still Mike Davis and, you know, things can happen. They could bring someone in, you know, maybe Javon Hawkins, you know, shows out so well in training camp that he becomes a big part of the backfield. So um, de- definitely a guy where I think you just have to scale back projections on Mike Davis. Yeah, the guy on that front that always springs to my mind is Toby Gerhardt when he went from the Vikings to the Jaguars. Um, I think, though, kind of modernizing that, Mike Davis just looks to me like the poster boy for what is commonly referred to as the running back dead zone right now, where it rounds three to five. The position overall doesn't tend to pay off. There's always going to be a guy or two that does fine in that range, but there's going to be a lot more that let you down versus what you think should be ahead of them. And Mike Davis, to me, is the poster boy for that. I mean, coming into the season, he's averaging 6.6 carries per game for his career through six years with four different teams. There's a reason that he didn't stick with any of those other teams before this one. He's a fine athlete, but he's not a special athlete. 49th percentile speed score, 42nd percentile spark. Uh, The Falcons' O-line was bad last year. It ranked 26th in Football Outsiders' adjusted line yards. So again, We're coming off the season where the Falcons had a bad offense. They had poor run blocking, just 29th in rushing DVOA last season. So, you know, I don't know that Mike Davis is a significant upgrade on Todd Gurley. He's probably better than last year's version, but I don't think it's a big upgrade. So, you know, if your argument for Mike Davis is I don't like the other running backs going around him, then don't take a running back at all. Just take a wide receiver in that range and go later and take somebody, you know, like Zach Moss, who – Maybe he doesn't have as much in the way of obvious opportunities ahead of him as Mike Davis, but there's at least as much upside, uh, and you can get that at a several-round discount. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention a uh, study that Jack Miller of uh, NBC Sports Edge did. He, he looked at running backs in year four or later of their careers who spiked an ADP by at least three rounds from the previous season, which you know M- Mike Davis will qualify for that list. Just two of the 15 guys who met that criteria – posted above average best ball win rates and only four of the 15 finished higher among running backs and fantasy points than their positional ADP. So, you know, the majority of the guys were either flat out busts or at least underperformed where they were going. So again, the the history says guys like Mike Davis are not good bets. Right. And of course the depth chart behind him is the biggest mark in his favor at this point. It's got Cordero Patterson, Kadri Allison, maybe JV and Hawkins. We'll see. I would bet that there is a regular season Falcons running back that is not yet on this roster, though. I think that – and Arthur Smith has even mentioned that possibility is maybe they sign somebody who gets cut later. Maybe they make a trade when it gets to be training camp time. 
I bet that there will be somebody added to this backfield before the regular season begins. Yeah, I expect them to add someone. But I also like Cordero Patterson as like a, you know, last round dart throw in best ball leagues. I think he could finish second on this team in carries. And I think he could play a decent sized role in the passing game, considering again, you know, it's it's really Calvin Ridley and nothing special elsewhere at wide receivers. So I'm just I'm just kind of intrigued about you know the role that they have planned for for Patterson. So again, I think as a lottery ticket, I mean, I've taken him in the last round of these underdog drafts a few times. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, pass catcher notes, Calvin Ridley is certainly set up for even more volume, and he has been a terrific player to this point. So I think he's worth gambling on. It's a bit of a gamble because of how early he's going, but I don't think it's a big gamble uh, based on what Calvin Ridley has done so far and the opportunity facing him. Yeah, um, and, and you know he's already proved – last year that he can do it without Julio Jones, you know, as Atlanta's number one wide receiver, he averaged 109 yards per game on seven catches and 11 targets in the, in the seven games Julio Jones missed last year. So you, you can't, you can't really say that, you know, we haven't seen Ridley as a number one wide receiver because we, we saw him last year, you know, for at least half the season. Kyle Pitts might be their wide receiver too. He's technically a tight end, but it sounds like they will give him plenty of wide receiver stuff. I mean, we've seen teams do that with players like Mike Jasicki, Evan Ingram in recent seasons. So I think that we should expect good numbers right away from Kyle Pitts. The problem is it's going to be very difficult for him to not disappoint fantasy owners this year. He's tight end four in FFPC ADPs going in the first half of round three. I mean, he's going to have to have like a legendary debut season to pay off. Yeah, I, I just don't like taking him over TJ Hawkinson. And even like Mark Andrews, I think, is, is in the same tier. I, mean, I think it's it's Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. But I, I think it's Pitts, Hawkinson, and Andrews in a, in a tier together. And, you know, Pitts usually goes around or around and a half ahead of those other guys. So I'm not drafting him. I do think he's going to have a nice season. You know, Arthur Smith is a former tight ends coach. The Titans, tight, tight ends, you know, had well above average target shares in Smith's two seasons in Tennessee. So, I mean, it all, it all sets up well for Pitts, especially with Julio Jones gone, obviously. Um, it's just it's just the, the price tag is my only issue with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, outside of FFPC, I think it's a little bit more modest, but he started out high. There is nobody that's not excited about the player. So Kyle Pitts is going to be expensive on draft day. It's going to be tough for him to live up to his draft price. Behind him and Calvin Ridley, we got Russell Gage, we got Tajay Sharp, we got Olamide Zacchaeus, we've got Christian Blake. I mean, I think the entire situation is going to bear watching through the training camp. There's nobody in that group where I'm like, I really like this guy. I'm drafting him a lot right now. You know, we'll see what happens. There's lots of potential late round flyers. Yeah. I mean, Gage is the guy I think you got to be careful with. It's kind of like with Mike Davis. Like it's, it'd be easy to just, you know, give Gage another 30 to 40 targets with Julio Jones out of the way. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I mean, first of all, I, I don't think he's like a special player. I think he's just like an average slot guy. He is just a slot guy, which, you know, Gage played 65% of his snaps in the slot last year. Julio played just 18%. So I, I, I'm just not sure Gage is like the Julio replacement. It might be Zacchaeus who, you know, picks up additional playing time. Situation to watch, but I'm not, I'm not interested in any of those Falcons wide receivers beyond uh, Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I think you basically treat Russell Gage as Mohamed Sanu in drafts right now. If it, if you're talking like round 14, fine, go for it. But uh, he, I don't think he's any. He, I don't think I've drafted him a single time yet. Alamde Zacchaeus is one that I have added late in drafts because you know we have seen him deliver a week here and there, uh, yeah. even last season when Julio Jones was out. So I, I mean, I guess let's spin this ahead to the who I like section. Because I don't like much at cost here. The guys that I will take shots on, Cordero Patterson, Alameda Zacchaeus, to fill out 
a best ball roster in those final few rounds. Once we get to more rosters where we'll be managing through the season, though, you're probably not going to find many Falcons on my teams. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, again, you know, Patterson is like my highest owned Falcon, which probably tells you a lot about how I feel about this offense. I, I do think Calvin Ridley is fair where he's going. If, if you're picking you know, in the back half of round two, I think he makes sense there. Otherwise, though, you know, I'm not drafting Matt Ryan. I'm not drafting much Mike Davis, um, Russell Gage. Um, no thanks. And again, Pitts, if he slips, I'd like to get some shares of him. You know, if you're doing a bunch of drafts, but you know, at ADP, I just think, I think he's you know about a round overvalued. I am glad that I got one best ball mania share of Kyle Pitts on the same team with Travis Kelsey. He made it to like round seven or something like that. And it, 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 I'm probably not going to be taking him again in drafts like that. At this point, I'm actively avoiding Kyle Pitts, Mike Davis, and Matt Ryan at the prices that you have to pay to get them. Like it. Carolina Panthers, the relevant coaching changes. Nothing here. Joe Brady got some head coach interviews in the offseason, which seems a little premature to me, but he's still there as the OC. The Panthers actually dipped from 20th in scoring and 19th in yards in 2019 to 24th and 21st in those two categories last year, but they climbed from 27th in Football Outsiders overall DVOA to 17th. 20th in pass offense was up from 31st the year before. Rushing DVOA was down, of course, because Christian McCaffrey was only on the field for three games, but even that was middle of the league. So overall, the offense was fine. You know, scoring in yards didn't reflect it, but they got more efficient. And it's clear that they're trying to still improve the QB position. Yeah, and it's tough to evaluate these, you know, these first-time NFL coaches in Rule and Brady when they lose their, you know, offensive focal point for basically the, the entire season. So it's, it's kind of like a mulligan year for me, and it's kind of a start over for Rule and Brady. I, I still have some optimism based on, you know, what they, they did in college, but I think they, you know, still have plenty to prove as well. Run pass split. They went 59% pass, 41% run last year, 53 to 47 in their five wins. So I shaved a little bit off the 59 to 41 split because I do think the Panthers will be a little bit better overall this year. Went with 57-43 for setting up my Panthers projections. I got them at 58-42, so we're right in line there. Nice. So QB notes. Let's go now to Sam Darnold. And I mean, clearly the Panthers believe he's an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. I, on the other hand, don't see any reason to get excited for fantasy purposes. We'll see. There are things that Darnold does differently and better. He's less accurate, though, than Teddy Bridgewater. But, you know, overall, just not somebody that excites me for his fantasy outlook. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in Darnold's numbers as a pro so far that you can point to and have, like, any optimism. What you can just say is, you know, we've seen these guys get away from Adam Gase and, like, you know, just, just look better and produce better. So that's what you're hoping for with Sam Darnold, you know, he does have nice weapons, especially if McCaffrey's healthy and Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall's a guy I'm excited about as a number three wide receiver. So he's a guy I could see having spot start value. Again, he has a lot to prove. He's not going to add anything with his legs. So not a guy I'm, you know, aggressively targeting, but I have taken him in a few best balls on teams where I have, you know, McCaffrey or DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson, just, just to get the stack. Less accurate than Bridgewater, more daring though, and that's where he could add some fantasy upside. More, maybe more so for the pass catchers in Carolina than for Darnold, just because QB has so many options available. Teddy Bridgewater actually threw deep, uh, which is passes 20 plus yards downfield, and to the mid range, which is passes 10 to 19 yards downfield at the highest rates of his career last season with the Panthers, according to Pro Football Focus. So maybe the team amps that up even further with Sam Darnold, who came into the league with that kind of gunslinger label, not afraid to test DBs downfield, not afraid to throw deep and give his wide receivers a chance. And he's got, as you mentioned, a good set of wideouts to try those kinds of passes. 
Yeah, I think the move from Bridgewater to Darnold just just makes the wide receiver a bit more volatile. It makes their range of outcomes a, a bit bigger. I could I think they both have a bit more downside, but I think they both have more upside because I think there's a chance that, that you know that aggressiveness that Darnold comes with kind of you know boosts the ceilings on guys like uh, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Running back notes shouldn't really take long because Christian McCaffrey's the man. He's the easy consensus number one pick this year. Uh, and, you know, as long as he's healthy, there's no reason to believe that he's going to disappoint. Yeah, and he didn't struggle with injuries before last season. We did see him for three games last year, and he had 27, 23, and 28 opportunities in those games. So, you know, this coaching staff is clearly willing to feed him the ball. So, yeah, he's he's the consensus number one pick for me. Yeah, finished top six in all three of those weeks that he was on the field. Chuba Hubbard now looks like the best bet to handcuff him this year. Should be at least similar to Mike Davis in terms of handcuff upside. Yep. Pass catcher notes. Robbie Anderson was the short range guy. DJ Moore was the long range guy last year between their two primarily outside receivers. More than three yards separated them in average target depth, uh, favoring DJ Moore. That's the opposite of what most of us expected heading into last season based on the way that Robbie Anderson was used with the Jets. Even though Matt Rule told us last year after signing him that Robbie Anderson was more than just a deep ball guy, I'd still bet on those A dots evening out some more this year. Probably more likely that Anderson gets deeper, though, in that category than that DJ Moore shortens because I was looking at his game by game stuff last year, and DJ Moore certainly didn't see his targets shorten as last season went on. I believe they were actually uh, even deeper later in the season than they were early. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think DJ Moore is best after the catch, but you know, he's obviously good downfield too. So I don't have a major issue with the usage. I think the interesting thing is Carolina swapped out like a slot guy and Curtis Samuel for, you know, a pure outside guy in Terrace Marshall. So that might mean more slot snaps for DJ Moore, maybe even Robbie Anderson. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, I, I like both those guys as draft targets, though, especially Robbie Anderson, who I, I think is, you know, one of the more undervalued receivers in drafts right now. He just didn't score touchdowns last season. He was top 13 among wide receivers in targets, catches, and yards, but he finished 60th among wide receivers in touchdowns. Uh, still finished wide receiver 20 in PPR points. You know, if, if he had scored his expected number of touchdowns based on his yardage, he would have finished 12th among wide receivers in PPR points. And he like goes outside the top 30 wide receivers in a lot of these drafts. So I think Anderson is a, is a really strong value right now. I'm surprised you called Terrace Marshall purely an outside guy. I mean, from your dynasty prospect profile on our website, he was like primarily outside the year before and then primarily in the slot the last time we saw him. Yeah, he, he followed that Justin Jefferson path. That's the same thing Jefferson did at LSU. Um, and I guess I guess I expect Carolina to play Marshall mostly on the outside. But again, we'll, we'll have to see uh, you know how they plan to deploy these wide receivers in August. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing about this wide receiver core is I think whereas we saw Curtis Samuel as the primary slot guy last year, 71% of the time he was on the field, this year I think we could see all three guys moving around and all playing all the spots. Robbie Anderson played a career high 32.6% of his snaps in the slot last year, according to PFF. DJ Moore was at 23%. That was up versus 2019, but still short of his 2018 share in that range and you know short of what Robbie Anderson did. So I agree with you that Terrace Marshall's built like an outside receiver. I'll be very curious to see if they give us hints before the season begins about exactly where the guys are going to line up. I'm not sure that that ultimately matters a whole lot for us because they're all talented guys. They should all see targets at, at any of the spots where they're lined up. It might be more a question of how much playing time Terrace Marshall is ready for as opposed to exactly where they're lining up. 
Yeah, and, and Samuel leaves behind uh, 97 targets from last year. And I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, uh, McCaffrey's just going to pick up a lot of those. Panthers running backs combined for 105 targets last year. So McCaffrey's not going to see much more than 105 targets. So you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity left behind, either for Marshall to pick up or you know potentially for DJ Moore and or Robbie Anderson to just add more targets. Rounding out the pass catchers, the Panthers paid up a bit for Dan Arnold, the tight end in free agency. Two years, $6 million. Not a huge amount, but a fairly hefty sum for Dan Arnold, I think, based on what he's done so far in his career. Then, of course, Ian Thomas has reportedly showed some improvement this offseason. So I think the fact that those two guys are together in an offense that was not friendly to tight ends in college, at least if you're looking at Matt Rule, I think the results with Joe Brady were a little bit more mixed. But the fact that they're both there in the same offense with McCaffrey and the three stud wideouts, I'm just not interested in either of these tight ends. No, no interest in Panthers tight ends. They also drafted Tommy Tremble in the third round. So, you know, that plus the Arnold signing kind of makes me think they might kind of be done with Ian Thomas. I guess we'll see. But, yeah, it was 39 total targets for Panthers tight ends last year. And, again, that, you know, that was in a season that McCaffrey missed most of. So I, I just I don't see where the targets go, even if, like, one guy does emerge as the clear leader in, in this group. I think they drafted uh, Tremble only for like the Oklahoma drill at practices, just so he can beat people up and be like the, the goal line fullback for two snaps a game. Smart. Who I like, Robbie Anderson, you mentioned earlier, he finished wide receiver 21 in PPR last year. He was really delivering above that level for most of the year before slowing down a little bit late. He's going in mid wide receiver three range. I don't actually have him projected much higher than where his ADP is. And I do have DJ Moore projected ahead of Robbie Anderson, but we know that Anderson is capable of outproducing more. He he has shown he's capable of outproducing his current ADP. So, I mean, I think I mentioned it before. He's somebody that I feel like I should have more shares of right now than I do, and I'm going to try to push it a little bit more going forward. Yeah, it does seem like Anderson's ADP is climbing. I, I know he was outside the top 30 wide receivers like a couple months ago. You know, he, wide receiver 27 now is what I have him at, but I still like him there. Um, I still like DJ Moore, you know, wide receiver 18. It's a fair price, but a guy I want to get pieces of because I do think he has like top 12 upside just the type of talent he is and then again Terrace Marshall I think there's opportunity there for him I think he's a big time athlete I'm not sure he's like ready to make an NFL impact this season but I think there's a chance and he's he's going wide receiver 62 in best ball so I I think he's worth a shot I have DJ Moore down in the who I don't section I I agree that wide receiver 18 is not a crazy price and he is capable of outproducing that It's just that there are so many other guys in the way of him, you know, dominating targets there. And I think that if you are really going to explode from a wide receiver 18 ADP, you have to have that upside to get 150 plus targets. And that's the the thing that I have trouble seeing for him here. The other issue for me at draft time is Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson are all behind him in ADP. All of those guys I have projected higher straight up. So I just, I, I'm not sure I've drafted DJ Moore yet. Yeah, that's fair. Again, I don't think he's like a screaming value at wide receiver 18. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a fair price. To me, the best reason not to draft DJ Moore is that you can get Robbie Anderson like two or three rounds later. Yes. Anything else for the who I don't section? Uh, I just don't like tight ends. That's that's it. And, and again, Darnold, like he, he's fine, but he's not a target of mine. New Orleans Saints, relevant coaching changes. What you got? Uh, nothing. It, it's Sean Payton back who has been in charge of the Saints since 2006. The, the big change here, of course, is no Drew Brees. So, you know, we'll see really for the, the first time for an entire season what Sean Payton's offense looks like without Drew Brees. Um, you sort of look at what the Saints offense ha- ha- has been. They, they have started to lean more towards the run 
and they've slowed down a bit lately. Um, you know, their last four ranks in run rate, 13th, 7th, 21st in 2019, but then 5th last year. Um, and their last four ranks in offensive plays run, 20th, 17th, 21st, and 10th. And even as uh, finishing 10th last year, they were 29th in pace and 28th in situation neutral pace. So you know, it used to be an offense you can count on for a bunch of plays. It hasn't really been the case lately. Again, we'll, we'll see if any or you know all of this stuff changes um, without Drew Brees. Yeah, it's interesting. We, Sean Payton, as you mentioned, been there since 2006. They've had the same OC, Pete Carmichael, since 2009. You don't think things are going to crumble with Joe Lombardi leaving the QB's coach post? Don't expect that to happen. <laughs> we'll see if he was the crutch holding this whole thing up. As you alluded to, though, it's been interesting to watch the evolution in New Orleans in that for a while they were this pass-heavy, high-scoring, fast-paced offense, and now they're one of the most run-heavy in the league. I think that whoever wins the QB battle this year – I would expect them to continue leaning in that direction where they're uh, well below 60% pass, you know, unless they are losing a lot more games. And that's where I went with my run pass split projection. Yeah. So I expect them to lean more towards the run who wins the quarterback competition though is going to have a huge impact on the run pass rate. If you look at last year, they went about 52% run in Taysom Hills for starts, you know, four full games, they were 46% run in the other 12 games. So I think you could see something close to a 50, 50 split. If it's, if it's Taysom Hill, Um, I think it's going to be Jameis Winston as a starter. It seems like, you know, most of the reports out of New Orleans expected to be Jameis Winston. So right now I have the saints at 55% pass. That is almost exactly where I am too. It's 55, 44 or 55, 45, you know, with percent with decimals um, changing things in there. I think they're going to be run heavy QB notes. It is Jameis Winston against Taysom Hill. We're all kind of assuming that it's going to be Winston. I think we have to treat it like it's a for real competition after we were all blindsided by Taysom Hill being that fill-in starter when Drew Brees went down last year. He got those four starts. So, I mean, I'm moving ahead as though Winston is going to be the quarterback, but I'm also not jumping all in and treating it like it's a done deal and drafting Winston as though he is the starting quarterback there. No, yeah, definitely not a done deal. And we have it projected that way. I think we have like Winston to make like 13 starts and Taysom Hill for the other four. So definitely hedging a bit. But again, every I haven't read a single report out of New Orleans that says, you know, Hill's the favorite. And there's been a couple different Saints beat writers. I think Larry Holder and Nick Underhill who have both said that, you know, Winston is the favorite. So that that's the lean. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about, about Winston if he gets the job. I mean, he obviously has his issues with decision-making. We'll see if that changes in New Orleans. But the guy, the guy threw for 5,000 yards a couple seasons ago. Like, that's not something you do if you're not super talented. And you, you know, mix that with, you know, Sean Payton, who I still think is one of the better offensive minds in the game. Um, and Michael Thomas and, and Avalon Kamara. And you know, we'll see if Traquan Smith, Adam Troutman, what they do. But I think there's enough weapons where, you know, if we know, if we learn Winston is going to be the starter, you know, by draft time, I, I, he has some intrigue as a quarterback too, for me. He is certainly a terrific pick now if you believe that he's going to start because once he's named the starter, I think he's going to be in that range like QB 15 or so um, with other guys like Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield in there. So certainly now's the time to get him if you are assuming he'll be there. I'm curious to see if there's any difference to Jameis Winston post-LASIK surgery. It was a big story a couple of years ago. We haven't seen him play much since then. So we'll see if there's any difference. I think the bigger difference here is that in Tampa Bay, he had Mike Evans every year. He had Chris Godwin for the past few. He had Deshaun Jackson for several before that and overlapping with the Chris Godwin time. Now he's got Michael Thomas 
and a bunch of question marks. Uh, Michael Thomas is a very good player. He's also not the dynamic downfield player that Mike Evans was. And and Evans kind of match up well with what Jameis Winston likes to do, at least what we've seen to this point, is he likes to throw the ball downfield. He likes to take chances, even if it results in interceptions. You know, Michael Thomas is going to be a good lead target for him, but you know, maybe they don't match up quite as nicely as Thomas did with Drew Brees and as Winston did with Evans. It doesn't worry me for both of them, but it's at least a question going forward for properly valuing both players. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I didn't I didn't mean that Jameis Winston's going to throw for, for 5,000 yards. Oh, yeah. so I, was, I was just saying, you know, he obviously has some talent to be able to do that. Um, yeah, and if he climbs into, like, borderline quarterback one range in ADP, then I think it's a time to get off him. But I do think taking some shots on him now, you know, I, to me – in drafts I've taken, especially Michael Thomas, I like pairing him with Jameis Winston because I think if Thomas is going to hit his ceiling, it's going to be with Winston at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm assuming you have Winston as your third quarterback on those teams, right? Uh, correct. There might be one where I took like, you know, Kyler um, early and then, you know, kind of just gambled and took Winston as my quarterback too and, and only other quarterback. Yeah. So, I mean, it's low risk, even if Winston does not win the job or gets hurt. It's not like Michael Thomas is going to crash with Taysom Hill, who we saw plenty of targets from in those four games last year. Um, I would certainly say let's not overrate what we saw uh, from Taysom Hill in those four games where one was the Denver game with no quarterbacks. Two of them were against the Falcons. So we haven't seen a whole lot of this offense without Drew Brees yet or with um, Taysom Hill in there. Running back notes, Alvin Kamara, should be fine on usage, regardless of who the new quarterback is going forward. I'm wanting to see what Jameis Winston especially would mean for Kamara's target outlook. In Tampa, Winston was not good for running back targets, but of course he didn't have an Alvin Kamara-like player there. And New Orleans, as I mentioned, doesn't have a whole lot in the way of receiver depth behind Michael Thomas. So Alvin Kamara should be the number two receiver here, no matter who is throwing the passes. Right. I'm just of the mind that like Kamara's role in the passing game, it was you know just as much a, a, you know, a part of Sean Payton's scheme as, as, you know, Drew Brees tendencies as a quarterback. So you know, I, I did bring his target share down a bit in my projection. So, you know, Kamara's target share is the last four seasons, 18.7, 20.2, 16.7 and 20.5. I projected him at 17 and a half this year, which you know, would be his second lowest mark as a saint. Um, but, you know, still, still an awesome mark for, running back the other thing for me beyond the receptions is that he has relied heavily on touchdowns so far so I guess I'm not worried about Alvin Kamara in general but when you're considering somebody among the top five picks in the draft you have to split the hairs and we're talking about a player here who has relied heavily on receptions has relied heavily on touchdowns now we get a new quarterback either way so we don't know exactly what the target breakdown is going to be or how effective that quarterback will be in getting it to the running back and if the offense slips at all I mean, this offense has been top 12 in yards and top five in scoring in each of the four years that Alvin Kamara has been in the league. If that slips, it's bound to hurt Kamara some. And, and there's just, you know, luck involved in scoring touchdowns. So yeah, I'm not pushing him out of round one, but there's definitely risk on him versus the other guys he's competing with for that draft slot. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as the touchdowns go, you know, he scored 16 times on the ground last year. That was a career high. It tied for second in the league last year. That, you know, that's a good bet to come down. There are some things to be optimistic about that. I mean, he, he was sixth among carry among running backs and carries inside the 10. He was eighth among running backs and carries inside the five. So he was getting the opportunities. The saints have also led the NFL in rushing touchdowns in three of the past four seasons. And they've been top 10 in rushing scores in 11 of 14 seasons under Sean Payton. So it's been an offense that produces a bunch of rushing t- touchdowns. Taysom Hill, to me, that, that's the concern with Kamara. If Taysom Hill 
is named the starter. I'm going to be, you know, off Camara probably even as a first round pick because I think his target share comes down with Taysom Hill and his rushing touchdown projection comes down with Taysom Hill because we know Taysom Hill is going to steal some of those goal line carries. So that'd be the concern for me. If, if it's Winston under center, I still like Kamara as a top five running back. I'm not taking Kamara over Dalvin Cook because I think Dalvin Cook's safer. Kamara versus Ezekiel Elliott. I, I'm leaning Elliott right now just because I feel better about knowing what I'm getting from him opportunity wise and the Dallas offense, which I think is going to be at least top three and could be the best in the league this year. So it, it's close. And if I were picking between them, you know, eight times, I'd probably mix in one or two of Kamara, but but Elliot's my lean there. Beyond that, I think Kamara's right there arm wrestling with everybody else, including Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, to me, the third pick in drafts is tough right now, at least. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's McCaffrey and Cook, clear one, two, but then I think you can make cases for Kamara, Zeke, Henry, and, and I guess Barkley, if you know, you're not worried about the knee, you can make a case for all four of those guys to be the, the, the third pick. Yeah, for Barkley, it's going to have to be a closer to the season question for me. I'm a little wary of that knee until I know more about how close he is. Me too. Latavius Murray, to me, is an afterthought, really. And he's going in afterthought range at running back, not late enough to be truly interesting. I think it's fine to get some shares, but right around him, there's Jamal Williams, there's Daryl Henderson, there's Naheem Hines, Philip Lindsay is going after him. Even A.J. Dillon is going in the same range. I prefer A.J. Dillon uh, versus Latavius Uh, Murray at this point, assuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback. I have more interest in Murray and I, I, you know, he's pretty much just a handcuff. Like if you look at last year, he averaged 9.7 carries and 1.7 targets per game, you know, alongside Kamara. That's not enough to, you know, start him in lineup setting leagues, but I still think he's a really strong handcuff. I mean, it was two years ago now, but he had two massive, massive games. He finished RB two and RB three in fantasy points in two games. Alvin Kamara missed. Now, again, it's two years ago. It's going to be a different saints offense. I don't, you know, I wouldn't project him as a top five back. If Kamara is out, but I, you know, I do think he'd be, you know, an easy weekly starter and probably a fantasy difference maker if Kamara misses time. Because I just think that the Saints have shown a willingness to, you know, give him a huge workload if Kamara is out. Yes, best ball. I'm not interested in that guy because I think, like I said, even AJ Dillon, I think there's a better chance that he vultures, you know, weekly opportunities, particularly near the goal line, from Aaron Jones than Latavius Murray does so from Alvin Kamara. But as we move more toward in-season management lineups. Latavius Murray is one of the few handcuffs that I would strongly consider cuffing to that starter on my, you know, season long team. Yep. Agreed. Pass catcher notes. I'll let you start that off. Yeah. Michael Thomas, obviously massive disappointment last year. I think it's just a throwaway season. I mean, he had the week one high ankle sprain and just was really not healthy the rest of the way. Like he came back and then he, you know, he sat out the final three regular season games because the ankle still wasn't right. Not worried about last season. I guess the concern is if the ankle is, is, gonna be right because Sean Payton said in June that the team is still monitoring that ankle you know made it seem like it wasn't back to 100% yet so that that's going to be worth monitoring in training camp and preseason if Thomas is healthy though I think he bounces back big whether it's Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill because Thomas had nice games with Taysom Hill he had a 32% target share in Taysom Hill's starts last season so you know Taysom Hill knew where to go with where to go with the ball um, and I, again, I think if it's Jameis Winston, Thomas will be just fine too. So, you know, now going in like the third round of drafts, Thomas is a guy I've been drafting quite a, quite a bit of. Yeah. As long as that ankle's good, he should be good to go. He's been a target monster at this point, as you mentioned, no matter who is the quarterback and he's set up for more of that. It's good too, for the quarterback transition that he has been that kind of player and not somebody who has relied on touchdowns for his fantasy value, about a 10% touchdown rate in his rookie season since then nothing over eight and a half percent so certainly replicable numbers in that category and behind him Traquan Smith Marquez Calloway I mean 
I, I don't know who's going to be the wide receiver too. Yeah, they lost, uh, the Saints lost Emmanuel Sanders, so you know was second. Their their number two wide receiver last year. He averaged about six targets per game. So yeah, Thomas should dominate targets again. Yeah, he could be among the, the league leaders in targets. Traquan Smith, I, I got to give him one more year. I mean, I think that this is his best opportunity yet, both from like a volume perspective, and I just think he fits. You know, assuming it's Winston, he fits Winston better because Traquan Smith is a downfield guy. Winston can and wants to throw it downfield, whereas you know Drew Brees just really couldn't you know, over the past couple seasons now. So I'm taking late shots on Traquan Smith. If you're, you know, if you've given up on him though, I I, I can't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think both Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway are solid bets late because they're carrying very late ADPs, both mm. of them outside the top 65 at the position. At that point, you don't even need to make a case for him. You just say, well, the Saints have Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and a shrug emoji catching passes. So why not take a shot on Traquan Smith, even if you just end up with two Marquez Valdez Scantling games from him? That's okay. Exactly. Adam Troutman is the other pass catcher worth addressing here. And there are pockets of excitement for him this year. It hasn't gone overboard, but he's up to 15th in tight end ADP right now. Yeah, I've been trying to grab him because I've noticed his ADP climbing. I think he's still fine at tight end 15 in ADP because like after the top, I mean, after the top, like eight, it's, it starts to get ugly. And then, you know, by the time you get to Troutman, he, he, he has as much upside as anyone in that range. So he's fine. I, you know, and, and I think his upside kind of looking at Saints tight ends recently comes from comes in the form of touchdowns. You know, Jared Cook as the lead tight end over the past two seasons saw just 65 and 60 targets. You know, that, that's that's not a great number even for tight ends. But Cook scored nine and seven touchdowns over the past two seasons. And he ranked first in end zone targets in 2019 and seventh in end zone targets last year. So I, I think that that's where Troutman could, you know, finish as a top 12 guy. If, you know, scores six, seven, eight touchdowns, he'll get there. Yeah, I can understand the upside case for him. I'm not going to stop anybody from buying him there. He's also in the range where I'm just going to pass on him though, in, in general, because for, for one standout example, Eric Ebron is all the way down at tight end 26. Right now, he finished tight end 15 last year. Many other guys in between, if Ebron is not a guy that you like, they're just in that range. There are so many tight ends that Troutman doesn't stand out to me at tight end 15. Again, if you like him there, I get the case for him, and I'm not going to try to talk you off of that pick. Yep, that's fair. So who do you like among Saints? So I'm taking shots on Winston, like I said. Um, we, we didn't really talk about Taysom Hill much, but I mean, I even think like in – at least in FFPC basketball is like a 28 rounds. Even, even he's worth a shot. I mean, if he only starts a few games, if Winston, you know, has a four interception game and Taysom Hill starts the next few, you know, he showed last year that he's, you know, he's a top 12 quarterback with, with the rushing stuff. So I I've been taking shots on both quarterbacks. Uh, Michael Thomas though, again, is my favorite saints target in the third round. I mean, he's going two full rounds later than he went last season. And again, I just think last season was an injury thing. I think he's going to see the volume. I think the quarterback play is going to be good enough. I think, you know, Thomas um, is, is a nice value in round three. There's nobody here that I'm chasing. The late wide receivers are probably most interesting and Traquan Smith ahead of Callaway for me, yeah. for the reasons that we mentioned before. I def- I definitely liked Michael Thomas early. His ADP has climbed. He's up to wide receiver 10 in FFPC drafting and DraftKings best balls, wide receiver nine on underdog. So I-, I think that's fine. I think it's a fine price for him because we know that his upside reaches all the way to wide receiver one. The bargain window on Michael Thomas is closed though a bit. You could get him as late as round four in early drafts. So I'm glad that I got plenty of Michael Thomas at that point. Yeah, again, I, to, to me, and I, I guess to me, he should be going with the Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown type of tier, which is like a half round earlier than Thomas. I, I still think he's he, he's a, he's a nice value. Yeah, I'm certainly not fighting that. I also think though that 
he and Keenan Allen look very similar yep. in their outlook. So, I mean, if they're all in that range, I'm fine with taking them there. Absolutely. On the who I don't side, it's Latavius Murray. It's just not for me at all, unless it's a season long, you know, manage the lineup team. And I have Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I agree that he's better in season long where you can, you know, just start him and Kamara's out. But I don't know, RB 46, uh, 11th round. I think, I think that's, that's fine for a guy that, you know, I think, I think again, does have like difference making upside if Kamara misses time. Yeah, I don't fault anybody for taking him, but he, he ain't for me. On to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Relevant coaching changes, nothing here as well, just like New Orleans. Bruce mm-hmm. Arians heads heads into his third season as the head coach. Byron Leftwich heads into his third season as the official offensive coordinator. Tom Brady heads into his second season as the actual offensive coordinator. The offense ranked third in scoring each of the past two years, but they got more efficient with Tom Brady around. Yards per play improved from 5.9 in 2019 to 6.0 last year. DVOA leaped from 23rd in the league in 2019 to third with Tom Brady instead of Jameis Winston last season. Yeah, this was a great offense last year, and it really could have been even more productive because the, the Bucks finished just 23rd in offensive snaps last year. And it wasn't because they were playing slow. They finished ninth in pace and fourth in situation neutral pace. And for whatever reason, they just didn't snap off as many plays as they probably should have. So again, I think, and again, with you know, we'll talk about it, everyone back from last year's offense. Like I think there, there's upside for this offense to maybe be even better than it was last year. I think they ran fewer plays because their quarterback's old and he forgot what down it was at times. <laughs> Run pass split. They actually leaned slightly further to the pass last year than they did the season before, despite improving from seven and nine to 11 and five, the league's third most pass heavy offense in 2020 at 63.7% pass. I have my pass rate set between 62, 63% for projections. Yep. I get them at 63. Um, again, with all the passing game weapons back, I don't see why they'd change much. You know, they, they were sixth in situation neutral pass rate. So, you know, they, they came into games looking to throw it. I, I expect the same this season. Yeah. As you said, not a whole lot of change here, even among the, the players. QB notes, Tom Brady. I mean, last year it was, yeah, but no QB has ever done it at 43. Now it's, yeah, but no QB has ever done it at 44. There are going to be lots of yeah buts until he's done in the league. He showed no signs of decline last year. Brady was probably a little bit lucky with his touchdown rate, 6.6%, but it wasn't an outlier versus the rest of his career. It was the third highest mark of his career. He's had five seasons of 6 plus percent, and he hit 6.5% for the Patriots in 2016 on a team with Julian Edelman as the only guy that saw hunt that, that reached 90 targets. Yeah. You know, usually with old guys, I like to jump off early and just maybe, you know, miss another year or two of good production at this point with Brady. I'm just, I'm going to just stay on him until he shows that he's done because you know, he's just a super outlier at this point. He he was even better, you know, over the second half of his season, he he averaged 274 yards, on 7.1 yards per attempt in his first eight games. He averaged 292 yards on 8.1 yards per attempt over his final 12 games, including the playoffs, which, you know, not a surprise considering he's learning a brand new offense with all new wide receivers. So again, I think he could be even, even more productive this year. And and, last year he finished quarterback seven. And it wasn't even just sustaining production, which you would expect from Tom Brady at this point, he was matching the young running QBs in those top shelf weeks. Um, if you look at the QB scoring review on draft sharks from back in February, he, it was him up there with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes providing those top level weeks. So we could get those ceiling scores that can win us individual matchups. Yeah. He's uh, you know, well, I guess we'll get to it at the end here, but he, he's been one of my favorite quarterback targets so far before that though, running back notes, 
We'll see what happens here. Ronald Jones was the better runner last year. Leonard Fournette was the preferred receiver. Then, of course, we had the terrific run from Fournette in the playoffs. Then the Bucs let him test the market, re-sign him for just a year, $3.25 million. Plus, that playoff run was touched off by Jones having an injury. It's not like they suddenly chose Fournette over Ronald Jones. So, I mean, it's not a definitely one way or the other in that backfield as far as I'm concerned. No, um, you know, I, I lean towards Fournette now just because of what we saw in the playoffs, you know, especially in the passing game. He, he saw uh, 17 targets in those three passing games and, and was good, was pretty good in the passing game. They, they also, of course, add Gio Bernard this offseason, who, you know, could, he, he could lead the running backs in targets. So it's a messy situation. It's one that definitely matters, though, again, because I just think this offense is so good that, you know, there's going to be opportunity, especially, you know, in the touchdown department for, you know, whoever's getting these carries. So it, it's, it's a big backfield, I think, to monitor uh, when we get to camp and preseason. Yeah, you'll see people on Twitter talking about how Gio Bernard is the pick because of how late he's going. And I mean, at how late he is going, that's fine. It's not going to hurt your team if he doesn't do anything. I am 0% interested in Gio Bernard this year. He is a lesser version of what Leonard Fournette was last year. He was never all that good in Cincinnati. They finally let him walk, even though they didn't have anything other than Samaje Pirine behind Joe Mixon. So to me, Gio Bernard getting there is just it's it's just like Peyton Barber or LaShawn McCoy being there the past couple of years. It's somebody that's going to get a few touches. I don't think he's a real threat to anybody's role. Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, I am not interested in drafting Gio Bernard. I'm I'm hoping you know they just kind of let Fournette continue to do the most of the pass catching stuff. I know Fournette had some drop problems last year, but I mean, he's been a pretty capable receiver you know throughout throughout his time in Jacksonville and you know even last year again in the playoffs he had some flashes. So I'm with you. I, I think Fournette is just a better pass catcher than than Gio Bernard right now. Jones versus Fournette, I, I agree. I'm leaning Fournette because of the better pass catching versus Ronald Jones. It's also not a battle I'm willing to go to the mat for. If somebody's, you know, trying to fight me saying Ronald Jones is a pick, fine. They're both going outside the top 30 at the position. So I, I would like to take shots on both of them, especially for best ball purposes, and then be a little bit less interested once I have to set one or the other in my lineup. Yeah, Fournette's the guy I've been taking shots on just because, you know, I, he's the guy that has the upside to lead the backfield and carries and catches. Even even if Jones, you know, Jones has no chance to lead this backfield in targets, you know, bar, barring injuries. You know, he, he could he could be the leader in carries, but he's not going to, you know, lead in both facets. So I just I, his ceiling just doesn't extend as high as uh, Fournette's does. Mm-hmm. This is a backfield, too, where I would like to pair those guys together if, say, I took one running back early and then addressed other positions for like five or six rounds, yep. then maybe take them back to back round six, round seven, seven, eight, something like that. Cause this is going to be a good offense. Again, it should be, we should get good games from both of these players. It could depend on game script with Ronald Jones running more in games where they win for net playing more when they might be trailing for sure. Pass catcher notes, Mike Evans finished 11th in his first season with Tom Brady as the quarterback career high catch rate, which is nice and something that we expected also career high touchdown rate. Certainly some luck involved there. That'll probably come down a bit. His average depth of target fell by three yards, according to Pro Football Reference. Another thing we expected with going from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady. The the thing that could be easy to overlook, though, and that actually concerns me is Mike Evans finished just 32nd among wide receivers in target share last year. That was with Antonio Brown only playing half a season. That was with Chris Godwin missing four games. And just to kind of put that in further context, some of the wide receivers that finished ahead of Mike Evans in target share, Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, Darius Slayton, Jacoby Myers. Yeah, I mean, Evans definitely outperformed his 
usage last season. As you said, he finished wide receiver 11 in PPR. He was just 24th among receivers in total targets. He was 24th in air yards. Touchdown's probably coming down, but he was third among receivers in red zone targets, sixth among receivers in end zone targets. I mean, he, he was Tampa's go-to guy in the red zone. Again, be expected to be a high-scoring offense. So I do think he's you know one of the better touchdown bets at the position and you know even with the target share thing you mentioned you know, that, that's that it's, it's it's all true but again we're also talking about one of the past heaviest offenses in the nfl so you know a 20 percent target share or whatever it was you know means a bit more for you know evans and it would for like marquise brown i agree with all that and there is you know i guess the point is just to say that maybe there's a bit more risk than you might think from the fantasy yeah. numbers that he put up and the, the spot that he's in chris godwin no huge change last year with Tom Brady around. He was hurt some, which obviously hurt his overall production. Yards per route run sl- slipped a bit. Maybe that was at least in part a product of him dropping the ball more often than he had previously. You know, we, we kind of try to downplay the drop issue. It hadn't been an issue for him before, and it doesn't necessarily hurt a guy's fantasy outlook, as we've talked about. But, you know, it did kind of bring down his efficiency with Tom Brady last season. We saw Chris Godwin in the slot a lot again, more than 60% of more than 60% of his snaps for the second straight year. You know, he fractured a finger last year too, which, you know, that, that might play a part in the drop thing. It's probably, you know, tough to catch a football with a fractured finger. So yeah, injuries were just sort of the story for him last year. You know, he had the fractured finger. He missed two games with a hamstring. He missed one game with a concussion, um, but he was still wide receiver 15 in PPR points per game. So I, I you know, I still believe, this guy's talent you know he's not going to see massive massive volume because he's playing with Mike Evans and Antonio Brown but yeah I think I think Godwin is is a rock solid wide receiver too and I think he's pretty fairly priced in fantasy drafts right now yeah so Antonio Brown is the big change here because he played half the season last year you know should be around for a full season we still have a month or so to go until training camp so there's time for Antonio Brown to screw it up but when they were all together they were all under 20 percent target share Evans and Godwin were ahead of Brown but it was pretty close among all three of them. So I think when you look at that, the fact that Evans and Godwin are both inside the top 17 and Antonio Brown's at wide receiver 40 in ADP, it just seems unbalanced to me. Maybe a little. So Brown finished 21st among wide receivers in PPR points from week nine on last season, but nearly a third of that production came in that massive week 17 game against the lions. Mike Evans left that game early with an injury. So that, that boosted Brown's, production for sure if you look at the 10 healthy games that all three of these bucks wide receivers played together and, and i omitted that week 17 game because again evans left early um it was 20 percent of the targets for evans 19 and a half for godwin 16.3 percent for antonio brown uh, evans and godwin also led brown in air yards you know evans easily led the way in end zone targets. so the gap might be a bit too big but to me it's it's you know i it's evans for me godwin a bit below and then a decent size gap to, to brown yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, but I think that the split from 16-17 to 40 is too big based on what we saw from them last year. We'll, we'll see, too, if the target shares change. Antonio Brown's getting up there in age as well, so, you know, plenty to, to watch going forward. Rob Gronkowski at tight end has fallen all the way to 20th in positional ADP in FFPC drafting. I think there's plenty of upside to him from there, especially for best ball purposes, but it's also worth making sure that you're aware he ran fewer routes late in the year last season. He saw fewer targets. Now maybe that changes because I don't know, blocking is better or whatever. Maybe they just get him the ball more, but maybe not. He's getting up there. He's always been a good blocker. Maybe they just use him more in that role. And obviously his outlook is complicated by OJ Howard returning from injury. 
Right. I actually think tight end 20 is like pretty fair for Rob Gronkowski. I think that's about where he sits in our, I mean, in our rankings, he could obviously, he could easily outperform that just by scoring a bunch of touchdowns again, like he did last season. Uh, he led all tight ends and end zone targets. He was fourth among tight ends in red zone targets. But yeah, like you said, the, the concerns are OJ Howard, who actually out-targeted Gronkowski 19 to 14 over the first four weeks of last season. And we'll, we'll see how Howard returns from that Achilles injury. And that's a tough one to return from. Um, and th- the other concern is, Antonio Brown, you know, uh, Gronk averaged five targets per game without AB. That dropped to 4.3 targets per game with Antonio Brown. So just, just a lot of target competition. He's going to be a TD-dependent guy. A lot of tight ends are. So, again, he, he could beat his price tag, but he, he's just not a guy I've been I've been taking too much of. Same for me. And the, who I like, there, there's really not anybody here that I'm in hot pursuit of. I mentioned, you know, my feelings about the running backs. I think I, I like the price tag on them for the uncertainty that comes with them. I'm not making sure that I get either of them particularly often. The guy that I think I probably should be drafting a little bit more is Antonio Brown because of that price discrepancy that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Yeah, I don't really think anyone's like undervalued here. But again, I've, I've been drafting a, a bunch of Tom Brady. I think he's my most owned quarterback so far. His ADP is quarterback nine, but you know, you'll get in drafts and he'll be quarterback 11, quarterback 12. I think he's nice value. Uh, you know, Mike Evans, wide receiver 17, Chris Godwin, wide receiver 19. I think those are fair prices. And again, guys that you know, you're obviously trying to stack with, with Tom Brady. So I've ended up with decent amount of those guys. And then again, Leonard Fournette is a guy that I've taken some shots on when I'm looking for a running back in that range because I, I do think he has the upside to, you know, be the lead runner and lead pass catcher out of the backfield for, you know, what's going to be a top five offense. And certainly an injury to either him or Ronald Jones unlocked yeah. a lot more opportunity for whichever guy that you take among that pair. Anybody that you don't like in particular among the Bucks? Yeah. Gio Bernard and Rob Gronkowski, who we mentioned. Um, I, I don't think Gio is going to play a role where he's really fantasy viable, you know, maybe in, you know, best ball PPR. So he'll have some, weeks for you, but uh, not super interested. And then, and then Gronkowski at time of 19, there's just, there's just guys in there that I, I like a bit better. Yeah. I don't have the salary in front of me, but I think that the range of outcomes for Gio Bernard this year includes not making the regular season roster. If Keyshawn Vaughn actually shows up and does something worthwhile this summer. So I'm not at all interested there. I, I don't really hate anyone at their price in Tampa. I have leaned away from Mike Evans lately. Early in draft season, he seemed like a value to me, but after digging further into the numbers, I think there's a little bit more risk. I do like him better if you're stacking him with Tom Brady. And I certainly, as I said, I don't hate Mike Evans at his price. We know that he can outperform even wide receiver 16 ADP. Him and Godwin, though, have not drafted much of lately. Yeah, Evans feels like the, the prototypical be- better in, in best ball player with you know some of the downfield stuff and some of the touchdowns he can score. I do think he might be someone to lean away from once you get to lineup setting drafts. That's going to do it for this NFC South preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see how we projected all the players we talked about on this show, plus every other fantasy-relevant player on both sides of the ball. Check out all the fresh content on the site as well. Practice your drafting with the Mock Draft Trainer. Go to our YouTube channel too. Check out our quick hit videos on some of the most intriguing players heading into this season. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. For Accuracy Maven, Jared Smola, and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shout saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 